Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, Columbia. How are you? It's good to see you. I am so honored to be with you. I begin with a question. Purpose, goal, reason for living. How do you define purpose, goal, reason for living? From the epistolary writings of the New Testament, we find a couplet, two letters, addressed to the recipient of none other than the Apostle Paul. He's spoken to the life of his protege, Timothy, and the letters bear his name. And in the second letter, chapter 1, verse 6, the Apostle Paul spoke into Timothy's life with these transforming words, fan to flame the gift that exists inside of you. Translated, stir up the calling that exists inside of you. This morning, I'm grateful to hear God speak to my own life about some powerful, irrefutable facts of our calling. Perhaps someone forms the question at this moment, am I really called? I do not feel God's hand leading me in any direction. Let me assure you, you cannot separate salvation from serving. You cannot separate conversion from call. God has set you apart, and there is no biblical foundation for a come-and-see demonstration of Christian faith. God calls us in. He redeems us from. Aren't you glad for this? He redeems us from and redeems us to, that we might have purpose, that we might have His goals, that we might have His reasons living. So this morning, how would you define your purpose, your goal, your reason for living? Before we walk through these facts, which I believe are vital for every member of every congregation, I would like to share a very personal word from the John Leland Center for Theological Studies. Columbia, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, on behalf of our seminary, thank you. You were significant and are significant in our lives. You mothered us into existence, and now your partnership these many years has, has been invaluable. We are indebted to you, and I simply want to say thank you. This past year that I've served as president at Leland, I've traveled to many churches, given the blessed opportunity as I have here to simply thank our partners. So, Thank you for who you are and for what you do. You are an amazing congregation. My wife and I and our our youngest daughter, we're so glad to be a part of this fellowship with you. We have three daughters, uh, 25, 23, and 10. Now, yes, you said, wow, I say that every morning. (laughs) But uh, we're, we're so grateful to be blessed. All three are adopted. Each child has a beautiful story or a narrative of God's grace. And uh, Sarah Joy is 10. She's the last at home. My wife and I are honored to move here with her and to be in this fellowship with you. So thank you, Columbia. Also, thank you to your staff, or I should say our staff. Our staff's amazing, and I'm not biased because several of them are graduates of Leland, but they are amazing. I've worked with many of them closely, and we are blessed 
with this staff. And let me say about our pastor, Dr. Jim Balkum. Jim, you are a true friend. And, and I praise God for you. You and Debbie have allowed me into your home. Uh, you befriended me when we moved here. And, um, and I'm just thankful for you. I'm thankful for the preaching that takes place here regularly. When I speak to people and to uh, women and men who are feeling called to preach and to pastor, I a lot of times will point here and will say, you need, to, you need to watch what Columbia is doing. You need to see the preaching ministry that is there. It's powerful. It's effective. It's transformative. So, Jim, thank you for your friendship, and thank you for entrusting this sacred moment to me. That, that means a great deal. Columbia, I would like to give you a sneak peek. Would you like some insider information? So, uh, I'd like to give you some. It's not overwhelming, but it's special to me. Leland is uh, rebranding a bit. And other than our executive committee, no one has seen publicly what I'm about to show you. Are you ready? So, Leland is going to look a bit differently. So, Leland will begin referring to herself as Leland Seminary. We will always be the John Leland Center for Theological Study. But I wanted to show you this. Because you're the first, if I could add the several who were here at uh, 9.30, you're the first to see this. Uh, so you'll see how we're referencing ourselves. Uh, this demonstrates that we're excited about our past, our present, about our future. God is giving us a new vision. But we continue to be the church for this, uh, the seminary for the church. That is our vision. It's always been there. And, and uh, Columbia, again, you've mothered us into existence. You're walking with us now. So thank you. And I'm grateful for uh, what is ahead. God is doing some amazing things. And I just wanted you to see how we're rebranding re, uh, re a bit uh, just to refer to ourselves uh, with, a, with a shorter statement, a little more of a literal definition of who we are. This will be a part of our recruitment and fundraising initiatives over the next uh, several years. When I have traveled and visited people who have not met the seminary and introduced ourselves, I'll say, hey, we're the John Leland Center for Theological Studies. And then they'll ask, uh, why do you call yourself a sinner? Are you not a seminary? And I'll say, oh, no, we are a seminary. And then they'll ask a second question. Why do you say sinner if you're a seminary? Are you not accredited? And we'll say, no, we are definitely accredited. And then the third question they'll often ask is, why don't you just call yourself a seminary? And so uh, my response always is, great idea. So both names are very endearing, both names very important. And we'll always have legally our name, the John Leland Center for Theological Studies. But we're also for the sake of recruitment and sharing vision and bringing in more participants. We're uh, referring to ourselves as Leland Seminary. So thank you for what you've done and for what you continue to do for Leland Seminary. Now, the logo's not finished because if it were finished, you would see across the bottom the statement, embrace your calling. Because we believe that from our conception, our, our mission is to, to be the seminary for the church, to help churches in their callings, to help pastors in their callings, and to help congregants in their calling. So be the expression, lay, volunteer, or, um, or, or occupational. The vocation exists for all of us as followers of Jesus. And Leland commits and recommits to being a place of encouragement, of, of equipping, uh, encouraging, and empowering people to know what God has called them to, and then to support, encourage, train, and educate for that purpose. So from that tagline that will adorn uh, Leland Seminary, I, I feel led to preach a message to you on how you and I are to truly embrace our calling. And I'd like to share with you five irrefutable facts. These facts come from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, and journeying uh, 
literarily through verse 12. And we've already heard of Paul's words, Timothy, fan the flame, stir up what God has placed within. And that becomes the theme, the excitement, the energy, the passion for which Paul spoke during what was likely his final days to his young protege and mentoree so that Timothy could remain focused on his particular calling. And the interest is there for you and for me today. The epistolary writings were intended for the church. Therefore, like all of the counsel of God, the scriptures become timeless and transferable or as, or as, as much for our application as then. Maybe even more so now because many are the distractions against our desire to take up our cross daily as a disciple of Jesus. Many are the distractions coming against those who feel a calling. Many are the distractions of those who might consider that God is calling but would never step through that door because the distractions continue to give those false lies that, that one is not adequate, one is not equipped, one is not wise, one is not experienced enough. But we will learn today that our calling builds upon <coughs> excuse me, that which God has done in Christ, in the church, in our lives for His purpose and for His glory. Amen. This is that to which we've been called. You have a calling. Now, your, your calling might seem as a talent. You might see someone with a talent and assume, well, they have this talent and they give it to the Lord. And, and wrong would be the conclusion that we have developed a talent and therefore God becomes obligated to use us in his work. No, the opposite actually is the truth. God has created within us that talent or that office of leadership. And we become obligated to him to serve him with a sweet devotion in that way to which he has called us and has equipped us. So I pray that today you will feel energized and encouraged, equipped and empowered to say, yes, God, whatever you call me to do, I will go. And I pray that that will be the uh, the resonation of your heart. To step into this conversation between Paul and Timothy, I invite you to the first chapter of 2 Timothy. And I'd like for you to join me in considering a real-life story that I believe will help us to grasp the import of mentor Paul in his final days speaking into Timothy concerning his calling now, if I might lean into the grammar just a bit, most of the verbs in this first chapter are substantive, simply meaning, don't let me lose you, simply meaning that they point to the subject, Timothy. Timothy, this is that to which God has called you. Timothy, this is what you are to do. And so this becomes a very personal pronouncement for application, and you and I must feel that same personal impact if we are to step into the text as the text deserves. So hear God, through His Spirit, in Christ, in you, saying, you have a calling. You've been set apart. Be obedient to that which God has called. Now, the story that I'm referencing to help us better step in comes from a name we are very familiar with, William Wilberforce, who pressed for many years to see slavery abolished in Britain. But at a certain point, Wilberforce became very discouraged. He was ready to throw his hands up and walk away. Why? Because there was opposition. There was no fruit to his labor. And he was ready to quit. Have you been there? Wilberforce was there. Until a dear friend, even on 
his sickbed, which soon became his deathbed, heard of the discouragement of Wilberforce and with a trembling hand penned him a letter. You may have heard of the name of this friend. His name, John Wesley. John Wesley penned a letter to Wilberforce to encourage him not to grow weary in the good to which he had been called. And this becomes the heart of that letter. Wesley wrote, if God has not raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are you feeling the tendency to not step through a door of faith to serve? Because you feel the opposition is too great or the inadequacies are too profound. Hear what Wesley told Wilberforce. If God is for you, who or what can be against you? Are all of them that oppose you stronger than God? Rhetorically speaking, but your answer would be no. None of them are stronger than God. We continue reading Wesley's words. Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and the power of his might until even American slavery will vanish away from it. Wesley died six days later. But Wilberforce, from his mentor, received those words. And he fought against slavery for 45 more years. Until in 1833, slavery was abolished just three days before his own death. Can you imagine what might have happened had Wilberforce given up? Not listening to the sage counsel of one who had gone before him. And can you imagine what might have happened in Ephesus, in Crete? Had Timothy given up? Instead of listening to the wise sage of the Apostle Paul, his mentor, I can't fathom what might happen or not happen if you and I give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. In fact, Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, do not grow weary in doing good. Do you remember what he said? In due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. But I'm certain you've been there. In fact, this room may, may well develop into two different people, two different postures in life. One posture may be, well, I know what God has called me to do, and at times I do well, but I feel discouragement. The other posture may be, I'm inadequate. I, I can't. There's too much against the fact that God could use me. But wherever you find yourself, in either posture, hear these facts which reinforce that which God has done and will continue to do in you. I, I know not what your calling may be. It could be something as general as, as loving well. It could be something with particularities. But regardless of volunteer lay or occupation, lay those terms aside to understand that we all have a vocation. We all have that to which God has called us. So I pray these facts will encourage you. So let me guide you to the first fact here in this great text. 
fact number one, from God. Our calling is always from God. Now, I know that seems very foundational and rudimentary. These facts are just that. They're foundational. Uh, the word irrefutable seemed more dramatic, so I inserted that. So they are irrefutable, but these are extremely foundational. And we begin with the one that I, I feel can often be forgotten in the business of our dependence upon schedule and personal characteristics and skills that we may have developed and obligations and expectations of others. These become the, the whirlpool of confusion and swirling that can cause us to forget this most important fact. Your calling is from God. How do we see this here in two ways? In verse 6, Paul said to Timothy, remember to stir into action, into greater depth, the gift that was in you from the laying on of my hand. Paul set himself up to be the synodote, if you will. For Paul said, we laid hands on you, but Paul actually referenced a group of elders. When he referenced this ordination of Timothy back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. So there was an organized effort to come to Timothy to recognize the, great and due to, the grace and due to him and set him apart. Well, that's fact number one of what's being demonstrated here. The ordination itself did not endo the grace, but only recognize what God had done. Fact number one, Timothy's calling from God. But here's fact number two. More distinctly, Paul said, fanned to a greater flame, the gift, the calling, that for which you've been set apart that exists inside of you. Oh, church, hear this. The calling becomes spiritual in its nature. This is a heavenly, transcendent transaction. God has done something of a spiritual nature in Timothy. And only, only can Timothy respond with saying that must be stirred. How is that stirred? By living in response to the spiritual, through our Christian disciplines, through our own walk of faith. Why do we announce that we cannot separate conversion from call because it all represents consecration. We've been set apart and our response is to live according to that for which we have been set apart. Do you remember that great word from Paul in Romans chapter five, verse six through seven? Christ died for the ungodly. Do you remember this? If we just take that one piece of soteriology of, of our theology of salvation and live in response to that, our lives would change. When we understand God is at work to set us apart. And that not only results in new life, it results in our new life that gives back to him to serve him. We serve not because we demonstrate works as a way to be recognized as a follower of Jesus. We demonstrate works as a response to Jesus, which in turn recognizes us as a follower of Jesus. It is all about a response to the amazing grace of God in our lives. And this was all inner working in Paul's heart when he told Timothy, fan that to flame, stir it up. You know, I love the King James translations here. Few are the times that I'll say that may be the best. But in this phrase, that might be one of the best for the King James renders, stir it up. I, but I love the Holman Christian standard, keep it ablaze. 
There is here a present tense infinitive, which again makes it substantive about the subject, Timothy. But the present tense causes this to be a regular activity. Keep that calling nurtured by your own spiritual journey of faith and your own disciplines of your, of your conversion, of your calling to be a follower of Jesus. Stir it up becomes Paul's announcement to Timothy. So you have those two points of declaration. We laid hands on you. Now, Timothy, it's God has done something in you. Stir that up. This is from God. There are some intimations here I'll share quickly with you. Intimation number one, Romans 12, 3 announces that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Because God has given to each a measure of faith. The word is meros. Jesus used the word when he fed the fish to the multitudes. We've been given a measure of faith. How? Through the Holy Spirit's work. The one Holy Spirit that calls us. The one Lord that is over our callings. And we've been given this, which is why we can now go to that second fact. Our calling is not only from God, but it is through the Spirit. Our calling is from God. He's initiated. He's done the work. But how is it impacted? How is it made manifest through the work of the Spirit? We see this now in verse 7. I remember back to 1 Corinthians 12 where we're told there are many gifts, one Spirit. Who is the proximate author in all of our callings? The one Lord Jesus who is the authority over all of our callings and the one God who brings the effects. So your calling as to the health of the church because it demonstrates the work of the Spirit. Now notice how distinctly Paul describes the work of the Spirit in Timothy. For the Spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us, what's the word? Gives us power. And what else? Love and self-discipline. There's some conclusions here we need to really grasp before we move on. Conclusion number one, we've not been given a spirit of timidity. We've not been given fear. Now that goes without saying most would conjecture and assume. But here Paul brings this point in for the same reason he brought a similar point in to Romans chapter 8 verse 15 when Paul said, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption. Do you know why Paul had to couple it that with the spirit of fear? There were those who could not trust that God had adopted them into the fold without going through the rites of circumcision. Paul said, don't be fearful of that. You are not given a spirit of fear. You're given a spirit of adoption that brings you in as a child of God. Now here in this text, Paul uses the same formula, if you will, to say you do not have a spirit of fear that makes you timid about that to which you've been called, but you've been given a spirit of Power, love, and a sound mind. So the first conclusion is God has not given us fear. We draw that from our own responses to the challenges of our inadequacies, to the comments of others from the world. Conclusion number two, God has given us a spirit of power, love, and discipline. Power, the endued presence of the Holy Spirit, making possible what's not possible. This becomes an amazing demonstration that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Do you remember this statement in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, beginning with verse 26 through 30. And Paul enumerated, hey, God in our calling, we need to realize God has raised up the foolish to confound the wise. God has called those whom the world would least expect and empowering them to serve well. I remember when I was called into ministry, I announced it to the church. I, I dreaded this. My dad being the pastor, the church knowing me well, I, I needed that courage to stand before the church and say, God has called me. This was at, was at age 17. If you can imagine a 17-year-old making that resolve publicly. And there were two responses that day that I made that testimony. Response number one from the uh, grandmothers of the church that I just treasure. Response number one, we're so proud of you. Great job. Response number two from everyone else. Really? You? <laughs> that was the response. Really? Because they knew what they had seen before, but God had brought a change. And they knew they could see the inadequacies, but God was bringing a change. And they knew they saw little vision or hope, but God would bring that as well. God brought power. He endued and equipped. That is the empowering, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Did you, did you hear that? You have the spirit of God in you, bringing you power, but you also have a spirit of love. That self-sacrificing agape-ness that allows you to love well. I've had many people say, and I could serve in that area, but I just don't feel a love there. And I will say, but you have the love through the Holy Spirit. You've been given a spirit of love. Don't short sell what God is doing in you. And then a spirit of self-discipline. So conclusion number one, you, don't, you do not have a spirit of timidity. That was created by the flesh. Conclusion number two, you have a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Conclusion number three of this fact, you'll never minister any greater then you recognize those three spirits God has built inside of you, those three expressions of the Spirit, which takes us to fact number three, in Christ. Our calling is from God, in the Spirit, or, or by the Spirit, who empowers us, gives us the love of Christ we need, gives us self-discipline so that we do not take our hands off the plow, but we continue on even in difficulty. That's the calling. But let's look at this third fact. From God, by the Spirit, now in Christ. There's just a couple of conclusions we make here before we move on. I love these facts. They come from respective verses that have amazing depth and conclusions for each of our callings as we align ourselves as a recipient of this word alongside Timothy. The two ways to engage Timothy's epistles, behind Paul's eyes or behind Timothy's eyes. We're behind Timothy's eyes this morning as we receive these words for our own calling. And the third fact demonstrates that our calling is always in Christ. Now notice just real quickly how we are identified as in Christ from this text. There are several demonstrations of this fact. The first demonstration seems more of a negative. And the negative is uh, you will suffer with Christ. But then I want you to notice the positive. The positive is you do not have to be ashamed. You will suffer as with Christ. Paul said, don't be ashamed of the suffering of our Lord, his testimony of suffering, or of me, a prisoner. But join in our suffering for the gospel by this holy calling that God's power has given us. So first, this fact becomes defined in that we suffer with Christ and with the apostles. 
Because there are those sacrifices that we have to consider as we say, God, I'm here, I'm yours. There are those comforts we let go of. There are those preferences we die to. Those become some of those expressed sacrifices to say, God, will follow you. Paul said to Timothy, don't be ashamed to make the sacrifice. So conclusion number one of this fact in Christ, partner in Christ in that sacrifice of giving self, of laying down self. But the second conclusion is, do not be ashamed of that. Oh, there was scorn brought against the Christians of the first century. The gospel seemed to be deplorable in the eyes of the culture. And Paul said, no, you don't have to be ashamed. Uh, the grammarian will teach us that this word, be not ashamed, is in the passive tense, which can translate, do not allow someone to make you feel shame. But realize that in your sufferings and hardships, you're partnering with Christ. Accept the calling. Be identified in Christ through suffering. Be identified in Christ that you're not ashamed. And be identified in Christ that the grace has been given to, to bring you to a holy life, being fully set apart. Holy doesn't mean morally perfect, but rather set apart unto a life that brings glory and honor to God because the righteousness of Jesus defines you. Your faith in the cross and the empty grave gives you that identity and your life is set apart as holy. So you are in Christ. Your calling is in Christ. Your calling is not in the denomination. Your calling is not in a particular uh, expression of ministry. Your calling is in Christ. These other physical entities might help you to understand the calling, but your calling is truly identifiable with you being a follower of Jesus Christ. Fact number four, the calling is from God by the Spirit in Christ for the gospel. We just have a couple of minutes, and so I want to journey with you through this. This is so encouraging. Your calling is for the gospel. Regardless of the calling that you may fulfill, even at this moment, your calling is for the gospel message of Jesus Christ being seen and heard. The gospel being heralded and proclaimed. This, this passage, verse 10 and 11, gives both theological and practical support to Timothy's calling. Theologically speaking, but now it has been revealed. What's been revealed? The grace and the purpose, verse 9 promised. Timothy, you've been called by God's purpose and grace. Aren't you glad God called us by both his purpose and grace and not just one or the other? If he called us by grace with no purpose, then it would be aimless and we would have to determine the goals ourselves. That would be a nightmare, would it not? And if it were all purpose and no grace, then we, we get one or two marks, we're done. But, but Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, it's by God's purpose and grace you've been called. And then look at the theological support here in the form of the gospel. All of this, your grace and your purpose has been revealed in the appearing of Jesus from the incarnation to his, his life of ministry to his crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and soon return. All of that defines and gives substance to the gospel and undergirds the fact that you've been called by God's grace and purpose. Summarized in the gospel, the gospel becomes your call. You have a gospel calling regardless of the name or the particularity of the vocation. Your call is a gospel call. That's the theological support. And then there's a practical support because in verse 11, Paul said, this gospel, I'm a herald. I'm an apostle. 
I'm a teacher. I'm not just a church planner. I'm not just a missionary. I'm not simply a pastor. I'm not just a, an epistolary communicator, a writer. I am a herald of the gospel. When I have seen moms understand this, it totally transforms how they love their children. When I've seen individuals in offices of corporations understand this, it transforms what they prioritize when they have communication with others. When we can get it, that regardless of our vocation, our calling is gospel-centric, Jesus-centric. Our calling is for the gospel. Then be it that we're opening a door and saying welcome, or we're teaching a junior high student, or we're traveling to another country, or we're standing and preaching and leading. The ultimate goal is we are doing this so that the gospel can be seen heard, proclaimed in us and through how we serve others. And then there's a final fact I'll give you. Our calling is from God, by the Spirit in Christ for the gospel, and fifth, with confidence. I just want to read these verses to you. Paul said, this is why I'm suffering. Yet this I know, I'm not ashamed because I know in whom I've believed and I'm convinced he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day, until that moment that he returns, until that moment that I'm with him. All that I've said yes to, I know this, God in Christ will keep and guard this for the day that I'm with him, from the very beginning of when God said, I'm calling you to the moment that I stand with Christ, all of this is kept by God. You know, one of the greatest fears I had early on in my ministry call was, I'm not sure how well I'm going to be able to do at this calling you've given me, God. I don't know what I'll say. I don't know who I'll speak to. I don't know where I'll go. I know nothing. But when this truth really became cemented in my life through some careful mentoring from a dear pastor, I began to realize that, that God has this. I do not bring the the, the produce, only God. There's one God that brings the effects. 1 Corinthians 12, 6 reminds us. So with confidence, we can join Paul in this couplet that he poured into Timothy's life in these final verses for us today. Paul said, first, my calling has brought suffering. Paul said, second, that suffering will not at all keep me from being faithful to my calling. You see, Paul understood his days were limited. Timothy sensed this in his mentor and developed a bit of anxiety. Timothy had been with Paul for better than a decade. Timothy, at this point, likely had served the church at Ephesus for four years. And it had likely been that length of time since Timothy had read Paul's first letter. And here in this moment, when Nero's persecution is ravishing the church and Paul's, as most scholarship will teach us, Paul's martyrdom is soon, Timothy feels this weight of ministry Perhaps even asking the question, how can I do this when Paul's gone? What will happen? Paul said, Timothy, I, all I can do is tell you with a testimony. Yes, I've suffered, but I know in whom I have believed. And he will keep in guard what I've done until the day I'm with him. Do you see those two amazing summaries? There is suffering. There's challenges. No, it's not easy. 
But God will keep what you have given to him, what you've entrusted to him. One way to understand this keeping is to ask the question, what can we keep? We can keep commitments and schedules, can we not? Or we should. But one thing we can't keep is the well-being of our own lives. We have no way of guaranteeing that we'll avoid sickness, that we'll avoid the, the outer body withering away. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. God will keep what we entrust to him by his perfect and sovereign goodness. So why should we not say, God, whatever you're calling me to do, God, I'll, I'll do it. Whatever you have called me to do, God, I recommit to this. I join Timothy in allowing the flame of my commitment to be stirred so that I will not lose heart in well-doing. And so Columbia, today, I encourage you with this final word. Do not, do not become discouraged in well-doing. Do not assume that God has not called you because of some inadequacies, inferment, or impediment. God has a calling for each of us. Some of you have discovered it. Some you're praying and seeking. But know this, God's call is beautiful, and it's always from Him. It's always by the Spirit. It's always in Christ. So your calling becomes a part of what He's doing in your life as a follower of Jesus. It is always for the gospel, and it's always with confidence, if it's truly his calling, because he will keep what we've entrusted to him for that day. Go forward, be excited, live strong, and live well, and serve well, and serve faithfully, because he who has called you will bring it to pass. He is faithful. Let's go forward in our callings, and let's not give up, and let's see God do mighty things. Amen? I want to pray over you. Father God, thank you for this gathering. I thank you for Columbia Baptist. They are home. They're family. They are partners. And I'm grateful. God, I thank you for this message you've, you've used in my own life and you are continue to use in my life concerning where our calling comes from and how it's empowered in us and the fact that it identifies us in Christ and it's for the purpose of the gospel. And we can be confident in you. So, Father, I pray for that person who has answered a call but at times are discouraged. Oh, Father, quicken their hearts with excitement. May their commitment to you be fanned to a flame. And I pray for that one who maybe has bought into some of the fears of not good enough, smart enough, experienced enough, known enough. And, Father, may all those lies be taken away so that that dear saint of yours can know your voice of calling and can have the joy of the only true affirmation of Christian ministry, and that is your vocation. Thank you for this great truth. Guide us in our callings for your glory and for your purpose. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said. Hey, Columbia, uh, somebody answered the call today. So uh, my brother and your friend, Bill Royce, uh, came forward, and he said he just wanted to share with you. I think it's been four or five years since you've done this. He used to do it sort of every year to tell you he has been sober for 35 years, uh, which that's a long time. You know, uh, so Bill, I was just talking to you a moment ago, and I, I realized something just standing here. That means this is either this year or last year is the first year, I believe, that you have been sober for longer than you were not. 
That's pretty remarkable. So I, I think it's good for somebody to do this because um, it, it may well encourage one of you who's struggling with uh, addiction of any sort, with anything. So when someone is transparent and just says, God has brought them to this place, it tells you that he can do this in your life too. So whatever you're struggling with, Bill, you're encouraging us today to answer the call and to listen. God wants to do something great. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us today. I really, really appreciate it. God love you. A church family just makes all the difference. Yeah, he said having a church family makes a big difference. So, oh, oh. so you can you can come up and personally say congratulations. This is longer than I've been married. That's impressive. I, I just think that's uh, that's almost as long actually. Uh, so, uh, listen, Columbia. I'm so glad you're here today. Remember uh, the significance of this weekend. We're so grateful for those who have given their lives uh, for uh, our freedoms. And as you enjoy. Uh, this weekend and the beginning of summer. Also remember all of those who've, uh, who've invested in you and in who you are. Together we are all new, all in, and all out. So you go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed week, and I'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to ColumbiaBaptist.org. That's ColumbiaBaptist.org.